Well, please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. I just want to read a, a few verses, beginning with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. The oracle of the word of Yahweh to Israel by the hand of Malachi. I have loved you, says Yahweh, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares Yahweh? Yet I have loved Jacob. And then in chapter 3, beginning at verse 16 through verse 18. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke often to one another, and Yahweh gave heed and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear Yahweh and who think upon his name. And they will be mine, says Yahweh of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will return and see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Well, let's once again ask for the Lord's help as we come to his word. Gracious Father, please heed the prayers that have been offered by your people and even by Pastor Khan just moments ago to grant to us the working of your Spirit, to cleanse us of all of our sins, that you would work in us, that we would have nothing to hinder either the proclamation of the word or the reception of that word. Please come in power and write your word upon our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. December 31st, 2023, we come to the end of another year. It's times like this, the end of a year, the beginning of a year, that it's real easy to, to think upon some of those maybe uh, most notable texts. And there are texts that I'd say are very uh, common for me to meditate on, for my mind to go back to time and time again. I'm drawn to them, some because of the joy uh, and the doctrine that they teach, like 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, for we are ambassadors for Christ, as though Christ were, God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a glorious truth. For Psalm 46 in verse 1, he is a very present help in time of need, that one who is our God, who is our refuge. Or Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, that final commissioning of the church that the Lord Jesus gives, and the wonderful truth that he would be with us even to the end of the age. But there are other texts that frequently come to my mind, especially at, at times like this, where we're considering time and they tend to be more those which bring terror. Words like his blood 
shall be on us and on our children. That the people cried out as they wanted Jesus to be crucified. Or Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13. And because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's good for us to contemplate both those wonderful promises and glorious truths and joyous realities, as well as some of these terrifying, uh, almost horrifying statements that are found in the Word of God. He gives them to us for a purpose. He gives them to us in terms of warning, because He's a gracious God and wants to turn us back from danger. He gives, us, gives them to us in terms of encouragement that He might draw us to follow after Him. In times like we face uh, here in America, and really it's been probably you could go back to the, the, the first century and probably beyond the time that has been a lawlessness and abounding and difficulties facing us. And, and certainly, you know, we're feeling something of that today. And it's certainly those kinds of times where we need to stop and, and take stock and we need to, to think about, well, what direction am I going? Where have I been? What am I doing? The book of Malachi comes at a time when the people of God were in such a difficult time. They've been facing very great difficulties. They've only been back in the land after 70 years of captivity for just a few years, maybe up to 15, 20 years. They've been into the land where the temple has been built. The walls are being built. But there's, but there's still a great deal of difficulty and sin that is rampant among God's people. And so God sends his servant. He sends a servant, Malachi. We've been looking at Malachi in the adult Bible class. We've taken two lessons to work through the book. And this morning I want to come back to it and I want to take a somewhat high level, but I want to focus on just a few basic lessons that we can learn from Malachi. And if you have your notes from the class, uh, my outline is very simple. Uh, Malachi teaches us to look back to look within, and to look forward. Malachi teaches us to look back, to look within, and to look forward. And so let's begin by taking a look back, as Malachi does, to see what God has done. I've said this many times, but I want to say it again this morning. Some weren't in the adult class, and so I'm going to go over some material. If, if you've been in the adult class and you've heard these things, uh, may God just use it to reinforce these things into, our, into all of our minds we find at the very beginning of the book of Malachi something which is incredibly foundational for the life of the people of God. A truth which needs to be grasped, a truth which needs to be held dear, which if lost hold of leads to many of these problems that are faced, that are found in the people of God at the time of Malachi. In Luke chapter 1, we read beginning at verse 2, as I read a little bit ago, I have loved you, says Yahweh. But you say, how have you loved us? Has not Esau, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares Yahweh, yet I have loved Jacob. But I have hated Esau, and I have set his mountains to be a desolation and his inheritance for jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been demolished, but we will return and build up the waste places. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, they may build, but I will pull down. And men will call them a territory of wickedness. And the people toward whom Yahweh is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this, and you will say, 
Yahweh be magnified beyond the borders or territory of Israel. As I've said many times as we come to this book, we begin by seeing that they denied God's covenant love. They didn't feel loved. Their experiences didn't fit with what they understood as being loved. 70 years of captivity in a pagan nation is not the kind of thing you'd say, wow, that person really loves me. They sent me away. Coming back and just being small and despised and looked down upon by many around them and opposed by many around them in all of their labors. Read the book of Ezra, read the book of Nehemiah and see the way that they were opposed. The temple that they built is comparatively unimpressive compared to what it was in Solomon's day. And their, their oppressors still have far more power than they do. We don't feel loved, God, they say, but God says, no, I've loved you. I loved you. And what does he do in order to reinforce to them that he loved them? He says, remember Esau and Jacob. He reminds them of his sovereign, gracious, covenant love shown in a choice of one twin over another He reminds them of an act of sovereign choice that took place over a thousand years, or more than a thousand years, before Malachi comes on the scene. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis 25, and and we can read about this struggle that took place, this this, uh, sovereign, gracious choice that was made back in Jacob's day. Genesis chapter 25, verses 22 and 26. But the children struggled together within her. That's within Rebekah, Isaac's wife. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and his name, and and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Two nations within her womb. The younger, the older will serve the younger. Paul's going to pick up on this uh, to describe this as an example of how God sovereignly chooses some and and not others. How his selection is is by his own gracious, sovereign wisdom. And this is where God goes to remind these people that he loved them. Now he adds to that the reality that at the time of the captivity, when Assyria, when Babylon, excuse me, came in and took uh, Judah captive that Esau, one of their closely related nations, began to mock and that they were uh, encouraging the Babylonians to destroy them. And at that particular time, uh, 
God's then made it clear, he makes it clear through Malachi that, that he destroyed Edom. Just as he sent Israel or Judah into captivity, he also destroyed the nation of Edom. Eventually, they were completely destroyed. Those are Esau's descendants. And he reminds them that his love was still seen at that time too, because though Edom was utterly destroyed, never to be rebuilt again, God has made promises, promises that have been reiterated now by Haggai, Zechariah, and now Malachi, after they've come back, that God has, is not finished with his people. He tells them, look back and see how I have loved you. See my sovereign choice. See my gracious protection. See how I have dealt with your enemies and know that just as I loved Jacob, just as I loved Jacob, I love you. Look back and see what God has done. Isn't that what we commonly do when we come to the end of a year? We take note to stop and look back. And that's really what I'd like for all of us to take note of as we learn from Malachi. It is good for us to take time to stop and look back. And look back at God's love. Look back at the good things that you've enjoyed over this past year. We do that in many ways at these uh, praise services at Thanksgiving and then in the new year where we stand up and we speak of how God has blessed us. Maybe it's a new grandchild that's come or is about to come. Maybe it's the fact that there was some particular protection, some particular privilege, some particular benefit that came to you. Some, maybe it's just the fact that you made it through the year. Right? And you didn't fall away. How many times have we heard, thank God for his preserving grace? Or maybe we look back a little bit further. Maybe I think, and that's what I'd like as we think of Malachi to, to encourage us all. Let's look back a little bit further. Think about the providence of God and how God reached down in the midst of all of the people of this world. And even more so, all of the people in your particular circle of friends and families. And he selected you. And he chose you. Out of his, with his sovereign, gracious intent, he came to you and he drew you to himself. He opened your blinded eyes. The gospel came to you. You may have heard it before. You may have heard it at home. You may have heard it at church. You may have heard it from a friend. And you heard it, but it didn't come. Now it's coming with saving power. And it came. Why was I made to make that choice while others starved? While others wouldn't come to the feast. And think of that. Think of those around you who didn't come. They heard the same thing. I have a brother, a year and a half older than me. He used to memorize verses and win Bible contests. He turned his back on God long ago. Why me, Lord? But he set his hand on me. And he kept me. Think about those things that God has done. Look back. But wait a minute. I want you to look back even further. I want you to look back even further. Malachi tells us he wanted the people, God through Malachi says, look back to my redemptive act, my great choice, not just of you as individuals, but the redemptive work that he did. Look back to those expressions of God's covenant love. 
That's what Paul does when he gives his testimony, doesn't he? In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Brethren, there might be difficult times. Now there might be even more difficult times to come. There might be greater pains and greater uh, aches. There might be greater diseases. There might be greater financial difficulties. There might be greater family trials. There might be greater... We don't know what a day is going to hold for us. But look back at what God has done in showing us His love by sending His only begotten Son into this world. He gave Him for us. There's love that we can look back. It was demonstrated. We're to walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He left the glories of heaven. He came to this world, humbled himself, and became a man, became a servant, became one who died, became one who died upon a cross. Why? Because he loved us. He loved his people. Look back and say, I don't know how difficult, I can't describe all your difficulties. And you may say, I, you know, I don't know. What can I say? How am I, how am I going to make it? Where is the bills going to, how are they going to be paid? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, God hasn't stopped loving you. He demonstrated it by giving his own son. And having given him, how will he not also freely give you all things? He'll give you the grace to persevere. He'll give you the grace to bear up. And if he so chooses, he'll give you the resources. Sometimes contentment comes not because he meets all of our needs, but because he gives us the grace to do with less and enjoy it. Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Brethren, we need to look back. Like Malachi tells his people, look back at the sovereign activity of God. Look back at those redemptive activity of God sending his son into this world to die for hell-deserving sinners. And then sending forth that gospel, first through the apostles, and then through those who were trained by the apostles. And ultimately, how in the world did they finally make it to this continent? And yet God in his providence has sent his gospel stage by stage by stage until it came to us wherever we were sitting and brought to us that love. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. It didn't just do it, he still loves us and will love us eternally. This is the love which Paul prays about when he says, you know, you know something of God's love, but, but I pray that you'd know more of it, right? That you would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It's one of the things you begin to think about, and I hope it just blows your mind. If you ever come to the point where you say, well, I can see why God loves me, you've, you've missed the point. There is no reason why he should love any of us. We need to consider that, brethren. We need to take time to think about that and consider. And then don't just consider the love that came to us. Just like he said to them, remember Edom? The one whom he didn't love. The one whom he passed over. Let's remember Lot's wife. 
let's remember Judas and Demas. And then we can get a lot closer, can't we? Because we can even remember those who used to sit among us. And it's not that they just chose to go to a different church. They turned their back on Christ. They turned their back on the gospel and said, I want nothing to do with it. And why do I say we should think about that? Well, we should pray for them, for one, because we don't know if they're apostate or not. So let's pray that God would save them. He would yet show his love to them. But, but it might magnify for us the love, the sovereign, gracious love to us. We're going to get through 2024. We need to keep reminding ourselves of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and what he continues to do for us in Christ Jesus as Christ sits at God's right hand. One man said how, how important this was for the people of God in Malachi's time and how important it is for us by writing this. This prophecy contends that God's people will flourish only when the people are renewed by a fresh vision of Yahweh's love for them and a recommitment of their willingness to love, honor, and serve their Lord. You see, I think he puts this up front because it's so central to the fact that all the rest of these things kind of crumble once they, real, once they really believe God doesn't love us. And once they took their circumstances to say, God doesn't really love me, then, all, then they said, well, wait a minute. Well, then why take any time to worship him? Well, psh, he didn't do a whole lot for me, so I'll just give him a, you know, a, a broken lamb. Well, I've got this, this big stud of a ram over here, but I'm going to keep him. I'll, I'll give him this, this weakling thing. I'll give him that. And if God doesn't really love us, if he hasn't really put us where we are out of his gracious fatherly love that knows what's best for each of us. You're not just in a good place, my friends. You're in the best place you could be. And I'm not talking about because you're sitting here at Trinity Baptist Church. But wherever you are, it's the best place that God has for you. God doesn't do second best. And so grasping the fact that he has loved us and is loving us will then motivate us to say, okay, well, wait a minute. What's going to loose somebody's fingers from the material things of this world and be able to give them away? Oh, God loved me. If I have God, I have all that I need. He's given me this that I might show his love to others. What's going to humble us from our becoming bitter and using harsh words against God? He loved us. One of the most grievous things in my heart is when I am harsh with somebody I love. Somebody who's done so much to show their love to me. Whether it's a child or a friend or a wife. And then you do something, oh man. Is that the way you feel about God? He's done so much for us. And grasping that love is one of the ways that we are going to make it through 2024. And we're going to continue to worship him the way he wants to be worshipped. And we're going to continue to, to listen to his word when he gives it to us and embrace it when it comes to us. And we're going to be willing to, to give uh, of, of our substance for, for the advancement of the kingdom. And we're going to humble ourselves and encourage one another because he loved us. And he loves us.
So brethren, one exhortation is this. Keep yourself in the love of God. The writer of Jude says. Because when we are loved by God, then we can say, like Paul, the love of Christ controls us. Malachi teaches us to look back. To look back. But he also teaches us to look within. To look within. And while we look back to see what God has done, we look within to see what sin lurks there. Pastor Chansky made reference to this uh, in one of his recent sermons on Romans. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5 is the text. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you unless you indeed fail the test? Or 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And so there's, there is a place for examining ourselves and testing ourselves and searching ourselves. There is a place for making sure, being diligent to make sure about our calling and election. And one of the things then that we need to do is we need to look within, prayerfully, carefully, but we need to look within. And, and Malachi helps us do that. Because that's really what God's doing with his people, isn't he? He's helping them look at themselves accurately. He tells them something about himself or about their situation. And they come back with some statement. The first one, of course, we've already looked at. How have you loved us? But the second one is found in verse 6. God goes on to tell him about the wonderful relationship that he has with the people of God. He says, a son honors his father. In other words, I'm your father. He's going to say, you're my son. A slave has a master, and I'm your master, and you're my servants. If I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is the fear of me? Says Yahweh of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. He says, you priest, you haven't honored me. I'm your master. You're supposed to be my servants. You priest, you're my, you're my sons. And I'm your father. Where's my honor as a, as a father? And so, they, so, so he says to them, you've despised me. Well, where have we despised you? How have we despised your name? He tells them how they despised his name. Despised his name by not worshiping him aright. They come with the blind for a sacrifice. They come with that which is lame. They come with that which is sick. And then he uses this, this illustration. He says, well, take that to your governor. Give that to your governor. Give that to your honored guest. Give that to that person, your employer. Would you dare work? Well, sadly, maybe this is the case, that we work like we worship. Lazily. But it should not be so. And sometimes we're more motivated to work harder than we are at work, than we are in worship, because, well, there's my paycheck coming. I don't get anything out of worship. So we don't give anything to it. We give, we give half-hearted things. We, we don't give our best. We don't give our best attention. We save that for the ball game. We don't give our best energy. 
We save that for our sports. But he says, show that to your governor. Would he, would he lift you up? Would he take your, lift up your face? Would he accept you? Would you be received by him and yet you'll bring that to me? Remember those words we saw in Sunday school, but here they are in verse 10 of chapter 1. Oh, that there were among you who would shut the gates, that you might not light a fire on my altar in vain. I have no delight in you, says Yahweh of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. So don't come in here with your lame offerings, to use a modern term. Don't come in here with your half-hearted, hypocritical, perverted, twisted worship. They said, behold, how tiresome. I am bored of these hymns. I am bored of this worship. It's so plain. It's so basic. Well, it is basic. It's basically, it's exactly what he told us to give. The reading of the scriptures to prayer, singing of hymns, the preaching of the word, giving, up our, giving of our offerings. And as we'll come to the Lord's table and the, and the supper tonight, we'll have the, the two ordinances. And he says, those are the things that God has called us to do. And that's what we bring then in our worship. But they, oh man, they're weary of these things. Give us something new. Give us something different. Make it easier for us. Or, or let's just get it done and let me get on with life. They disdained, they despised God's worship and dishonored his name. For treating God this worship this way is to treat God this way. You're not that important. And so they, dis they des despise God's worship. But it goes on in this lack of awareness of God's love for them also produces in verses ch in chapter 2, verses 10 to 16, they disdained God's covenant relationships. Now, we've talked about this before, and I keep coming back to this because it's right there in the text. And he says, you know what? They, they, they didn't treat me as holy. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, talks about uh, presenting the Corinthians to Christ as a, as a virgin. He talks about it in bridal language. He says, I, I brought you to be devoted to Christ. He was afraid that they were going to be led astray. Well, it could very well be that what's being talked about here are them marrying uh, mixed marriages. It could actually be speaking about idolatry. They're not giving me what I, what I call for. They're going after the pagans, the pagan way of worshiping. Or they're actually marrying mixed marriages, chapter 2, verse 11. But they're breaking faith with God. They're breaking faith with their wives, their marital infidelity. They're, they're ready to divorce. It seems God says, I hate divorce here. But then, as I said in my very first class, just highlight again how much God goes after the heart here. He says, the problem's your heart. He says, get a hold of your heart. Your heart isn't thinking about me as one worthy of being married to me, devoted to me, committed to me. Because you don't like me, you don't like the, the structures I put in place, you don't like being a faithful husband or a faithful wife. So he says in chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, guard your spirit. The one in whom is the true spirit 
is the one who's going to be able to guard his spirit. But he says, be careful then, end of verse 15, be careful then to keep your spirit and let no one deal treacherously. Let no one break faith with his wife of his youth. And the end of verse 16, be careful then to keep your spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, that we're to perfect we strive for, for perfection and perfecting ourselves in body and spirit. Let me read it because it's not coming to my mind here to, in, the, in my memory. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement and flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, again, I think Malachi is going after this. Paul's going after this. It's not just about having a better outward life. It's being holy in life and heart. And so there's no heart running out after those sinful things. Wanting to break covenants with my wife. Basically, let me just put it this way. Your words to your wife, your words to your husband in the kitchen... In the bedroom, speak louder to God in one sense than the words that you sing. And you're treating them as ones who are unworthy and disdaining them, putting them down. And then come in here and think you're going to sing. We need to guard our spirits. And the way we treat others is going to affect the way that we worship. Remember what Peter said. To those men, he says that we're to live with our wives in under, an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Treating your wife or treating others disdainfully put a block between you and God in your prayers. Isn't that what he said to, isn't that what Samuel said to Saul. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Well, that's not saying that you shouldn't come in here and worship because this is the very place you need to be, sitting under the sound of the word and hearing the words like the words of the prophet Malachi and hearing those words and being convicted that you might seek forgiveness in Christ Jesus. So it's not like, well, I'm such a sinner, I shouldn't go to church. No, 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 you're such a sinner. Come to church. <laughs> Hear the truth and repent of your sins. You see, we're in danger in times like these of our love growing cold. And when our love grows cold, we're in danger of despising God's worship, disdaining God's covenant relationships. And then we're in danger of doubting God's justice. We get down to the fact and say, God, you're not dealing with this world the way I think it should be dealt with. You're, you're being kind to them and not to me. You're pouring blessings out upon them and not upon me. And I don't think that's fair because I'm being faithful. I'm trying to do what you tell me to do. Okay, I cut a few corners here and there. But, but at least I'm trying. We start doubting God's justice. In chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 6. They're treating God's justice lightly. Why aren't you receiving our sacrifices? 
How have we wearied you? God says, I'm weary with your words. Chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied Yahweh with your words. I, I wonder sometimes if we could see the face of God and we just saw him say, not again. No. <laughs> and I don't want to misrepresent God. But the picture here is one who's just said, I've had enough. How have we wearied you? <laughs> even, even when they hear their sins being pointed out, he says, you've wearied me. And he says, and they say, how have we wearied you? Well, they go on to say, for everyone is, is evil, is good in, in the sight of Yahweh, and he delights in them. He says, where is the God of justice? In other words, you're not trusting me to order the, the affairs of this world the way that I should, and you have hard thoughts of God. You see, that's another thing where danger of doing is doubting God's judgment, which leads to hard thoughts of God. We become more and more bitter toward God. And then verses 7 through 12 that we looked at in the previous hour in particular, we see that, that they were robbing God. And they weren't really treating God as, as the one who was of, of greatest importance in their life. They were robbing him of the ties that the worship of God didn't need to be supported. It'll just take care of itself. If God wants us to worship, let him provide. And so they weren't giving the whole tithe, which God had told them to give. The bottom line is that they just weren't valuing God highly enough. You can see how that could come about when they think that God doesn't love them. See, as this continues to go on in their lives, they're pretty soon they're, they're, they're actually then going to come to the point where they're actually denouncing God's righteousness. God is not a righteous God. Chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. God says, your words are strong against me, says Yahweh. But you say, what have we spoken against you? What have we spoken against you? As I said in the adult class, I said, what do you mean, what have you spoken? The whole book is filled with things that you've been saying against God, denying his word and not willing to listen to what he says about you. And you question him at every point. What have we said against you? But he really wants to highlight something else that they've said that he hasn't told us yet. Now he tells us in verse 14, It is worthless to serve God, and what gain is it that we have kept his charge, and that we have walked in mourning before Yahweh of hosts? So now we will call the arrogant, we'll call the rebel the one who is blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they test God and escape. They denounce God's righteousness. God is not righteous. And so we're going to say that the wicked person is really the righteous person. He's the one who's getting all the blessings. And so therefore we don't have a righteous God. And they've been speaking all of these strong words. And I think it's an effort to try to make themselves feel big against a big God. You've probably met somebody like that, right? They just get up close enough to you and start yelling loud enough to you. They, they make themselves out to be something big. Yeah, it could be a little four foot eight person. But they start yelling loud enough and they start trying to make themselves feel big. That's what these people are trying to do. They're speaking hard words against God. They're bitter against God. And they're speaking these things against God. Saying that this is just worthless for me to go about this religious stuff and to continue to do this. I can't keep doing this. I won't keep doing this because God is unjust. unjust. So we're going to follow the path of the rebels. 
That's where the blessing lies. And so here's the, here's, the, here's the looking within that they're doing, right? God's saying, look, I want you to see your heart. Do you see it? Do you see it? It doubts me. It distrusts me. It disdains me. It denies me. It denounces me. This is what's in your heart, he says. He says, and how do you know it's in your heart? He says, listen to your words. Listen to your words. What are you saying about God? What are you saying to God? It's wicked in there. It's, 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 it's dark in there, brethren. And we need, to, we need to take time to look within. But for most of us, or many of us in this room, when we look within, we see something else too, don't we? And that's what we see next. Look at the next thing. All of a sudden, there's a, there's a radical change in the book at this point in chapter 3 at verse 16. And those with these words that we now see. Then those who feared Yahweh spoke to one another, and Yahweh gave heed and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear Yahweh and who think upon his name. And they will be mine, says Yahweh of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will return and see between or distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. You You've got it all wrong, but there's a day coming when you're going to get it right. But you notice there's, up to this point, it's been God talking to them and telling us what they're saying in their heart, right? But now who's talking? Verse, 15, verse 16, those who fear the Lord are talking to one another. And Yahweh gives heed. These people are speaking much differently than, than those who were going before. They're not speaking against God. They're speaking to one another. Calvin sees this as an expression of repentance. Then, at that time, after they heard these things, they repented and they stopped speaking against God. They began to speak to one another. Are you seeing this in yourself? Are you running across this? We need to stop this. But notice what really made the difference. Whether it's repentance or it's a group of people that didn't fall into those sinful paths, what made the difference? They feared Yahweh. It says it twice. Then those who feared Yahweh, for those who fear Yahweh and will think upon his name. This is what makes the difference. They have a high estimation of God. And they fear God. They hear warnings from God and they tremble. They hear blessings from God and they rejoice. They hear calls from God and commandments and they obey. That's what it means to fear God. They're listening to him. And, and, and look at all the encouragement then that he gives, that God hears. We've already been hearing God hears all their words. And that's scary up to this point. Because he hears all their complaints and their grumblings and their discontentedness. And he hears all that. But now he says he hears this vo these voices as well. You see, we look inside and we see the work of God in our hearts and we see that he has put, as he promised in, in the new covenant, he would put his fear within us. And we see in us something that says, you know, God is, is really important to me. I want to please him. I want, his, I want him to smile. I don't want him to, to think this way of me. I, I see that sin and I want to be free from that and done with that. And so we start talking. We start talking about the things of God with one another. And, and he says, God hears that too. God hears that too. 
And he says there's a book of remembrance written before him, like those books that were written before the kings, that were written down all the things that were done in the kingdom so they could remember who was my, uh, my ally and who was my friend and who was my enemy. And they say, oh, look, remember what happened? I said this in the adult class. Remember what happened to Mordecai? He saved the king's life and nobody noticed. But it was written down. And later that was read. And on that, that night when that was read, huh, what was done to Mordecai? Reward that man. God says a book written down of all those things where you're, where you're talking to one another and provoking one another unto love and good deeds. And you're sharing the, the truth of God's word to one another. And you're encouraging one another and strengthening the hands that are, that are down, laid down and the, and the knees that are weak. And you're coming alongside and, and you're giving that word of exhortation seek to turn a brother away from the path of sin, and you're seeking to, to save such a one by going in and bringing the word of God to him and delivering them. And it says that God gave attention. It's an interesting word. It's not just the word here, but he gives peculiar attention to their words. And he writes them. They're written down. And then he says, and these ones are mine. These are mine. He says, I want to remind you that there's a group of people who fear me. And that fear that's in them marks them as my sons, my children. They're my treasured possession. He watches over them and keeps them and delights in them. Zechariah, I think it's the book of Zechariah, we talks about singing over them or Zephaniah singing over them with love. He says, I will spare them as a man spares his own son. This one's going to be protected. He's one, of my, he's one of my sons. He's one who serves me. I'm going to watch over him and protect him. And there's a day coming where they'll really see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. May not be, it may not be clear right now. Remember the weeds, the wheat and the tares are in the field together. And he says, leave it to the last day. And it'll be discerned on the last day. Then it'll be clear. God speaks so differently to these people than he does to everyone else in this book. He speaks comforting, encouraging words to those who fear him. He reminds them of his rich blessings to them. He tells them that the wicked will be punished, chapter 4 and verse 1. A day's coming and they will get what they deserve. Because our God is a consuming fire. But he's also going to come with reward. And I love these pictures. For he says in chapter 4 and verse 2, For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Well, I was a little boy. And I don't remember exactly how old I was. Probably 8, 10 years old. And we were out camping. And my cousins decided, you know, the, the fish bite best before dawn. And so in the Rocky Mountains... On a morning when it was probably about, oh, 32 degrees, we decided, let's go fishing. And so we got up, and we all got up before dark, and off we went. And 20 minutes out, I fall into creek. Probably scared all the fish away, but besides doing that, now I am soaked. 30 degree weather. And I am sopping wet. And I am cold, and I'm not going back to my tent. Oh, that would be, that would be dumb. <laughs> what do I do? I go looking for the sun. 
I'm looking for the lowest place in the mountains where the sun's going to come through first because I want to get warm again. And so I don't know how far I walked down this road, down this road, until I found the place where the sun hit me. And when it came, oh man, I just wanted to lay down. Middle of the road, there's still only 30-something degrees out there, but I just hit that sun, hit me, and it was nice. The Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ Himself, the Righteous One, radiating forth like the sun, sending forth His, his heat in, in love and care and, and the light on our path and showing the way. This is the Son of Righteousness, he rises with healing in his wings. And, and the, the commentators talk about the sunbeams coming, as it were, on the wings of a bird coming down and, 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 and hitting us, ministering to us, and turning us into calves like they, like they, they go forth skipping and, and at, at just wild in their, in their joy and, and freedom. And this is what God does for those who fear him. The light has come. The times of refreshing have come. And a time of triumph will attend it as well, because we read that you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day for which I am preparing, says Yahweh of hosts. We're going to be engaged in triumph, crushing Satan under our feet and overcoming. Brethren, in times like we are in now, difficult times, granted, in times when worship is, by and large, considered just a free-for-all, do whatever you want, as long as you're sincere. As long as it makes you feel good. And when giving money to the church is, is considered, I don't know, tantamount to paying taxes. And I'm talking about things at large. Yeah, we, don't, you know, we don't want to give for that. And, and, and when it's, it's really all about me and having my life be comfortable and, and I want God to be my great butler in the sky that when I need somebody to point the direction, I'll call on him. And when I'm not feeling good, I want to call on my therapist in the sky to come down and pat me on the back and say, good job, keep going. I don't want this God who's got rules for me to live by. And I don't want this God who's going to put constraints on me on how I approach him. And I don't, I don't you know, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. In a world like that, brethren... We need to remember that God loved us and loves us, and we need to fear him. We need to fear him, just as we read, interestingly read from, from Luke, right? Don't fear man, but fear God, who can cast both body and soul into hell. He's talking to his disciples. Fear him. These are the kinds of sins we need to be aware of that, are, that, are, that we're in danger of during times like this. This disdain and this distrust and this doubt. and We need to look for them. When we see them, we need to, to turn away from them. These are the times in which we live. We need to look back, see the God who loves us. We need to look within. We need to see not only, as I've just said, all these sins, but we need to see the work of God in our hearts, that He has put any desire in us to do to see his smile and to do his will because that's his work and he wants us to see that as well so we don't become overwhelmed. It's not a matter of looking and see all this darkness and go, oh, woe is me, I'm lost. 
No, if you're lost, then you seek the one who's, who finds people. Oh, I'm dead. I've got all this in. Well, if you're dead, then go to the one who gives life. You look inside and you say, oh, it's so dark. Well, look for the one who's the light. I'm so wicked and polluted. You go to the one who, who gives you righteousness and cleanses you from all your sins. And when you see that he's done that, and you say, okay, I'll just go back again because he's loved me. Don't run from him. Run to him. He's there. He's your father. His arms are open wide. Come back, my son, my daughter. I'll cleanse you again and let's get going. By my grace, we can persevere. Look within, but then also look forward. And here I have to be brief, but look forward and hear what God is going to do. We read in, in chapter 3 and verse 1 and chapter 4 and verse 5 of what God is going to do in the future. Future to Malachi. But chapter 3 and verse 1 talks about something that God's already done. Chapter 4 and verse 5 speaks about Elijah who was going to come. He's already come in the person of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 10. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's talking about John the Baptist. Before John the Baptist is born, Zacharias receives the, the, the promise that his son is going to be that one who will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make the people prepared for the Lord. He's going to come again, and he's going to come again with those, with those blessings I've talked about, like this son of righteousness with healing in his wings. He's going to come, and he's going to reward the, the righteous. He's going to make that distinction. The right on the, one, on the left hand are the goats, on the right hand are his sheep. He's going to make that distinction. And he's going to remember all the little things, every idle word, but also every cup given, every kind thing done, every kind word spoken. He's going to remember all of those things, and he's going to bring that to bear. He's going to return without reference to sin. He's going to come sitting on his white charger. He's going to come and judge the wicked. He's going to come and reward the righteous. So how should we live in light of that? Well, if he loved us, and he's coming back, then I'm going to be delighting in his return. If he didn't love us, if he hasn't loved us, if I have not gone to him at the cross and had my sins forgiven, I'm going to face him as the judge. And there will be no faking him out. Words won't cut it then, because he will know who is in Christ and who is not. He will know those who have repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and those who have not. And so he says, in the meantime, here's what you need to do as you look forward. What's the path forward for 2024? Here it is in verses 4, 5, and 6 of chapter 4. And with this, I'll end. Here's our looking forward. Yes, he's coming again. So how do I live until he comes again? Remember the law of Moses, my servant. In other words, out of love for me, do what I command. Obey me. Here's the path. He's told us what is good. We need to obey him. 
And then he says, behold, I am going to send Elijah the prophet before him. Anticipate his return. Long for his return. Love his appearing. Live a life of sensibility, righteousness, and godliness, putting away all sin. Why? Because he loved us and saved us and because he's coming again. Put him away. Live in light of this reality that he, what he has done and what he will do for you. And then expect transformation. As we anticipate his coming, we should expect, expect that hearts will change. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land, devoting it to destruction. When he's coming to devote it to destruction, the bottom line is there will be change of hearts. He will give new hearts, hearts of flesh where there were once hearts of stone. Whatever else we understand about verse 6, this much is true. God changes hearts. Have we heard that in Romans chapter 6? When Jesus Christ saves somebody, he changes them. They die to sin. They died to sin. And they live in resurrection power for him. Oh, brethren, we need, as we come into the new year, to keep looking back at how much God has loved us. We need to keep looking within. See both the wickedness and the work of Christ that he's already done in us, that we might persevere. And let us look forward and let us pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Some of you, that's a terrifying thought. You say, well, I don't believe, I don't believe in God. Well, that's not going to change the fact that he's going to come. Well, you're just, you're just making that up. It doesn't change the fact that he said he will come riding on his charger. He will come and he will bring judgment. He will. And no amount of pretending like it's not going to happen is going to stop it. It's going to happen. So go to Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins and turn to him. In the words of Malachi, return to the Lord and he will return to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, be gracious to us that we would learn from Malachi. Forgive us of our many sins and help us that we would persevere through 2024, 2025, and beyond until Christ returns. The Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray in his name. Amen.